Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with recovery coach and CEO of My Sober Compass, Ariel Diamond. Thanks for coming on the show, Ariel. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course, of course. So before we get into your work as a recovery coach, could you tell us a little bit about your own journey in recovery? What was life like before you actually got sober? Oh, absolutely. I love this question because usually people are a little bit surprised by my story um, because I was so two-faced in my addiction. So my addictions started when I was 12 years old. The first addiction I ever had was eating disorder, anorexia, and I didn't even know it was an addiction at the time. But what had happened was, you know, my family was going through some things and my what I believe my attic brain started to kick in. (laughs) So this looked like kind of controlling my food, um, losing weight, and it spiraled when I turned 18 years old. So when I was 18, I had my first ever sip of alcohol. And it was like this magical moment in my life. I can remember exactly where I was. I was at Villanova University. It was my first day on campus. And the feeling of that drink cemented it for me that this was going to be a big part of my life and it's so weird to think about that but it was like I just knew that alcohol was going to be around yeah so after I graduated I thought you know well I had partied a lot in university and I thought well this will just kind of calm down because a lot of my other friends were a year older than me and they had graduated and they weren't partying as much. Okay. Yeah. But when I got home, it was like, I partied just the same as I was in school. And I never considered that it would be an addiction. I really didn't understand. Like I never really heard the term addiction. I just knew that when I drank, I felt really good inside so much so that I really would ignore the consequences that would come after. Mm. So I kind of went down this rabbit hole of drinking more and more. I lost friends along the way. You know, I kept shifting jobs and careers. So I started out in sales and I worked at all these startups in DC where I'm from. And, you know, these startups were so much fun because they had beer carts and happy hours they would pay for. And I just ate that up. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. (laughs) But what happened was I was just drinking more and more and more and becoming actually physically dependent on it. Hmm. So I did what, what I thought was right. And I quit my jobs and I went to Europe and I backpacked except my addiction followed. And I spent three months getting drunk in Europe 
came back. I was so depressed. So I figured, well, I need to go back to school again. So I went back to school to be an event planner. And I landed this really cool job where I was traveling around the world, planning international events for almost two years. Um, but all along the way I had this job, I was really balancing, trying to balance my alcoholism. And what that looked like was, you know, I'd plan an event, I'd go to a city in Europe and my last two days there, I'd usually extend my trip. I would just get annihilated wow, all by myself. Okay. Yeah. That was like, it's so embarrassing in a way to say right now, but it's also empowering because I don't live like that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so on the surface, I had it all. Like I had the dream job. I had money. I had a car, an apartment. I had friends still, but my insides were really rotting away. And I was so incredibly unhappy that so much so that I, I felt like I wanted to die. And I didn't feel like that when I drank, like those first couple of drinks, that was like the only solace that I had. But after that, you know, that message in my head would get louder and louder. And so my like willing, my willingness to live was seeping away. Um, my eating disorder flared up. I also had, I was newly single at the time. So this was 2015. And uh, I had a Tinder addiction as well. I was just trying to val get validation and feel good and feel right. okay. Yeah. But I wasn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so what happened was in 2015, it was July. I went on a bender. I woke up after this bender in my apartment. And I really, I had written a suicide note in my phone. And I thought, I read it, I was so confused because I didn't remember what had happened. And just in that moment, I spoke to someone who said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. And that moment was so pivotal because it was the first time I had admitted to another human being that I was not okay. And the first thing that I did was go to my doctor and actually tell them how much I was drinking. Like, okay. yeah. I had lied before. Mm -hmm. Sure. When I told her, her face just dropped. Like she looked so upset. Uh, you know, I was drinking three to five bottles of wine a day just to function. And I could tell right away that this lady, she's lovely, but she just really didn't understand. So she fired back at me. You got to go to treatment. You got to go to rehab. So I did. And that's where my recovery journey started. Wow. Wow. That's pretty incredible. And yeah, I mean, you described it as a, a pivotal moment where things started to, to change. But what I was thinking is, is what an incredible moment where someone happened to reach out to you and almost prevent you from, from following through. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty incredible thing. Um, and I'm someone that definitely thinks there now, anyway, there are no mistakes, mm -hmm. you know? So what I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what happens from there? So you, you go into treatment and are you just like, oh yeah, I love this. Or is it just like not, not going that great? Or what, what was your experience in treatment? Oh God. Well, getting me to treatment was this whole hilarious thing. Like I was so out of it. Um, like I had a meltdown in H&M the one day, cause I didn't know what to pack for treatment, but I found a treatment center in British Columbia that looked like this dude ranch. And 
I was all for it, you know, because I thought, oh, well, this will be good. It's holistic and it's amazing. And I'll just need to go for 30 days. So I showed up at this treatment center with like dresses packed. I mean, I was so, my brain just wasn't functioning very well at the time. Uh, and very quickly I realized mostly because I had three counselors who they told me that I'm going to need to stay there longer than 30 days. And they also told me that I needed to give up this idea that I was going to ever be a normal drinker. So when I walked hmm. through the doors of treatment, I thought, yeah, I'm going to be able to get this. Right. I had yeah. people telling me that there's a pill out there that's going to help me uh, drink like a normal person. And then when I was in it, I mean, I started melting, like melting by emotionally like when mm -hmm. i showed up i didn't cry i didn't really have any emotion people started telling me that i was like snobby but what was happening was i had all these walls up around me i didn't want to talk to anyone i was terrified to talk about my feelings talk about what i had been through um, my trauma and the more that i opened up the more that i started really healing and growing and the more i realized that i had a lot of work to do <laughs> yeah yeah well and i'm guessing from what you were describing it sounds like you probably had a pretty serious uh actual detox as well right i mean if you were drinking that much wine every day it sounds like there was probably a pretty serious detox period that you had to go through there was, and how I got detox was by vitamins, by a person that I knew. And I really wish that I had had the knowledge hmm. that, that there was other medical detoxes that I could have gone through, right? Like yeah. that's actually pretty dangerous to sure. detox on vitamins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean that you can die very, very easily from that. Yeah. So uh, thank God you didn't. Sounds like, like something clicked in treatment. And, uh, so how long were you in treatment again? 90 days, 90 days. Okay. All right. So you get out of treatment and then where do things go from there? So I got out of treatment. I got my cell phone back, right? When they took my cell phone, I felt like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do right now? Yeah. So when I got my phone back, um, I had a job offer to, spend half the year in New York, half the year in London. And it was so tempting. It was like, okay, this is a moment because I can either decide to stay in British Columbia and kind of gather my life. Because as soon as I left treatment, I realized that I had a lot of work to do. It wasn't just here, you're fixed. Right. It was now a lifestyle choice and change. Um, or I could go right back to where I was essentially and start working again like crazy. So that I made the hard decision of not working right away mm -hmm. and moving to BC. Luckily, I'm a dual citizen, so that was no problem. Okay. Um, but yeah, that first year I struggled. Yeah. <laughs> I cried randomly. I, you know, I I went to the 12-step meetings, which are still part of my program. I got a sponsor, I got a counselor. But I really felt lost in a lot of different areas. Like, mm. okay, how do I have a conversation with a sober person? Like, what do I even say to them? Mm -hmm. uh, how do I have sober fun? Like, I lived on a ski hill and <laughs> it was so uncomfortable to get my snowboard and go up the first few times. But I started to realize that, yeah, living like this takes practice because 
I used to snowboard drunk all the time, right? Like everything that I did yeah. kind of revolved around booze. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the well, learning started. <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when people, <laughs> before I got sober, you know, I had all these pre, you know, I had it all figured out, right? All these preconceived notions. Uh, this is all of this stuff is brainwashing. It's this, it's that. Honestly speaking, I needed my brainwash. Like my thinking was totally <laughs> screwed up. And, you know, the reason I'm thinking about that is, is because we pretty much do have to rewire our brains to do everything, right? I remember one of these corny, like cigarette commercials back in the day that was actually probably one of the better ones or stop smoking commercials. And it was like, you know, the guy was trying to learn how to like eat without having a cigarette afterwards and get in the car without having a cigarette. And I was having to relearn just like you was snowboarding, how to do all these things uh, sober. So it, it can be tough. Now you said you struggled early on in sobriety. One of the questions I always like to ask is what do you feel like one of the main things that you struggled with early on was? I struggled hard with understanding what I needed to do, like how to even get started and live other than I knew that the treatment center told me that, you know, I should do 90 meetings in 90 days. Right. Right. But that wasn't enough for me really mm. personally. I was like, well, wait, what about everything else? So I, I struggled to find a routine that supported me. I struggled socially because I had just moved to a new area and I struggled to really see kind of like what my future looked like. It was, yeah. it was just a really hard time and uh, trying to sort out my emotions as a sober human. Like, I think that I used alcohol a lot to process emotions. And so here I was, I felt like I've said this before in, in videos, but I felt like a newborn with like newborn skin and anything that touched me emotionally, I was just so reactive right away. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. No, super. I was super, super. And I was probably always a little sensitive to some degree, but definitely super sensitive to anything, uh, you know, early on in sobriety. So you're, you're trying to figure this out. You're, you're struggling to create routines and, and kind of just live life sober. At some point, I'm guessing you start to figure that out. And at what point do you decide that like, hey, this is something I want to help other people with? Yeah, so I went back into my event planning world. I got a job at the ski hill, actually, where I lived being an event manager but I wasn't super happy doing it. And I, I had been really happy in my career before. So I really wondered what that was all about. So I started just like, I sketch all the time. So I okay. started sketching things. And one day I just started sketching this compass and dividing it into parts of things that I thought, you know, I would need help with, or I needed help with and how I could start to figure out how I wanted to help other people do that. Like I knew very early on that it wasn't necessarily sponsorship that I wanted to do. I wanted a more bigger picture way of helping people because I felt like that's what I needed. Um, and still, I still recommend people get a sponsor and work whatever program that they want to. But 
you know, developing coping skills, looking at your routine, understanding hobbies, though, all those nitty gritty parts. So then I, I researched jobs like that and I found recovery coaching. So I decided to go back to school again. I love going back to school apparently. And like I yeah. <laughs> became a recovery and life coach. It was another pivotal moment. And the idea of My Sober Compass just fused with that. So mm -hmm. that's why I named my business My Sober Compass. Just from early on, I felt like the direction part was really it, an important thing that I had been missing. So that's what I wanted to base my business off of. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I really love hearing when not, I, I mean, ideas for sure, but like someone's entire life path comes out of something like sketching a compass. I think that's really cool. Uh, and I'm not being You're sarcastic. Laugh, I mean, but yeah, I, friends, I think that's really I awesome. Made this, well, I made this like PowerPoint and I was two years sober at this point. And my friends were kind of like, hey, yeah, this is interesting. Cause it wasn't really talked about three years ago as much as it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I don't know if you, you know about the Enneagram test. Have you? Yeah. You know yeah. I haven't done that, but I've definitely, yeah, I've heard of that. I'm going to send you a link to it. Cause yeah, it's a, okay. such an awesome personality test, but I'm a three. So threes have this innate ability. Like we have to achieve all the time. Mm. So upon leaving treatment, one of my counselors had said, you're going to do something, Ariel. I don't know what it is, but I can already tell that the gears are moving. Hmm. And so two years later, there I was starting my own company. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. You know, and I think you bring up something important. I mean, number one, you said that you got a sponsor, you had, you know, a counselor, you had other people that were helping you with these different areas, which I think is so cool. Um, you know, there are these other areas, though, that I think a lot of the times aren't touched on by either of those two people. I mean, a sponsor looks different to everyone, right? Like my first sponsor, uh, super grateful because like, well, number one, I lived like 300 feet from this guy. So like, <laughs> nice. so, you know, I, I couldn't escape him, number one. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he, he was helping me with like other life stuff that um that probably a lot of sponsors wouldn't and i definitely wasn't talking about with a counselor so much and there there was a lot more searching that i had to do on my own and i think that i mean and you you would probably agree i would guess that a lot of the times that searching can lead to dead ends and when we're talking about someone early on in sobriety that can be pretty detriment detrimental right i mean that can that can easily lead to a relapse because what leads to relapse? Well, it's, it's stress most of the time to some, to some degree. Right. So what, what is sober compass really all about and who do you, who do you actually work with? Yeah. So mainly I, well, I work with men and women who are usually working professionals. So people who a lot of times they come to me, like, I don't want to go to 12 step meetings. I'm afraid to show my face. And I want to work with someone confidentially to start to put my life back together. Okay. Yeah. And like, I live in a very small town right now in Cranbrook, BC. Um, so I coach clients internationally. I don't really even have a client where I live, uh, which is great because, you know, addiction is everywhere. Like mm -hmm. I've got a client in Germany and Australia, like 
it, it's everywhere, right? Um, so yeah, working with men and women who are busy, who are stressed, who need to understand the basics and then want to work with someone to strategically kind of build their life back up, but, and then some, right? They don't want yeah. to just go back to where they were. So that's where life coaching comes in. Like usually I start with recovery coaching and then we move once the person is really stable, they're feeling good about their program. Then we move into more of life coaching, setting goals. How do we achieve this X, Y, Z. I also help with career stuff if needed. Okay. So um, typically I work with people one-on-one -on -one for three months. Uh, but recently I just launched this brand new program called Break Free and Recover from Home which is 30 modules that people can take confidentially from home and then receive group support with it. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and I want to ask you more about that in a second. I was reading that, you know, when you started all of this, it was really based around five steps. So it was building a recovery focused support network and community, learning yep. how to have sober fun while finding purpose and passion creating healthy routines and habits, nurturing self-improvement and coping strategies, and giving back to the community and others through service work. I think those are all, all awesome, all super important. The one in particular that I, I want to ask you about, because I've been having this conversation a lot lately, is the last one, the giving back to the community and others through service work. With everything that is going on right now, um, you know, I, I'm always with, with, with guests like you coming on the show, I'm always trying to extract as much value <laughs> for our, for our listeners and maybe even for myself. What are some ways that, that with all this pandemic stuff going on and, and people not doing a ton of stuff in person necessarily, or I would say a lot of people, how can people still give back to the community and, and do service work? Like, what does that look like right now for a lot of people? Yeah, this has definitely shifted this year. So in 2019, just to give you a quick overview, I the more solid the clients were doing, the more that we'd start to talk about their passion project, which was giving back. So whether this was, it really depended on their strengths as a person. So I had like one guy who loved building things. So he built something for his treatment center. I had another lady who started a women's group, right? Where she was. Um, and that was a way for her to give back. And now with 2020, it's really shifted. So it's more about the small things we can do to help other people. Um, and also recognizing that it's also service for you to show up to a meeting and have a conversation with someone outside of that meeting. Like I usually find that the meeting after the meeting is really beneficial. Um, or maybe it's just they're spending more time with their family. They're spending more time working on themselves, their hobbies. Like this is this pandemic has forced people, I think, to look harder in the mirror about what's important to them. And from that answer that you get from that question, you can really start to extract things that might fill their giving cup, let's say, right? Because we're all so different and I've even, I have sober friends that have started to drink way more during this pandemic, calling me saying, what's going on? And um, you touched on this a bit earlier, but I think that a lot of times why we drink is to numb that emotional pain or the pain, right? And COVID has caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it certainly has. And uh, I, I think those are all great suggestions. I really like just the idea of something as small as just having a conversation with someone. I think that that gets overlooked. I mean, even by, by myself, I would say, um, you know, just thinking about uh, like re relating this to a 12 step program, if someone is in one, you know, the 12th step is generally thought of in terms of like sponsorship and stuff like that. But it could absolutely be like you said, the, the conversation after a recovery meeting, uh, you know, whatever program or type of meeting it is. Um, but I would say even sharing in that meeting is a type of, of 12 step work, right? Because if I go in um, or, or type of giving back, if I go into a meeting and I share something that happens to help somebody else, well, then that's, you know, then that's doing exactly that, right? Like that is kind of helping the community and, and giving back. And yeah, there absolutely is a, a lot of pain out there right now. Um, so I, I want to circle back around to your break free and recover from home. Very fitting, right? Like, I mean, it's just what we're talking about right now. Um, you know, I, I think you and I were discussing, like, I think we've both been in the online coaching arena, uh, you know, even before all this started, um, I think one good thing about this is, is that more people are open to the idea of um, various kinds of coaching or getting help remotely, right? Because I don't know about you, but like with my fitness and nutrition stuff, people would be like, well, what is online coaching? Like, what is, you know, how does that, how does that work? You know, like, how do you get, how do I get results doing whatever it is, you know, if I'm not um, not, you know, right there with you. And, um, and it sounds like that's exactly what you do. So you were describing this as having different modules. W what are the modules that they're working through? Like, where does it, where, what is kind of the beginning, middle and end of this? If you can kind of share that just so you can give us an idea of what this path looks like. Absolutely. So the three kind of stepping stones in this program is decide, so you're deciding what you want to do, whether it's, you know, abstinence, cutting back, moderation. Mm -hmm. um, typically, I recommend abstinence just because, but I use, I tell people like, you've got to make this decision for you because a coach standing there telling you you can't drink anymore is ineffective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but true. understanding like the mindset pieces of it, how we can self-sabotage, making them aware of like the drama triangle, things like that, that goes mm -hmm. under decide. Then the next phase is design. So you get to design your personalized recovery program based on your personality. Or what's your Enneagram number? Are you an introvert, extrovert? What do you like to do in your spare time? Because I'm of the belief that all of our recovery programs are quite different. Um, and that's, that's on purpose. Like it yeah. should be different. And then the last phase is the do part. So this is where they actually need to go out and do the work that they've already planned for. Yeah. And the idea as they're going through this, so it's a 30 module course, if you will, but they get 90 days of support so they can take it in 30 days and then they get, you know, 60 more days of support or they can spread it out. But I really found, so over COVID, I started a free meeting twice a week for people. 
And I found such strength in those meetings, like people sharing ideas with each other. And it wasn't just me talking, right? So now that's why I brought this group coaching program out because I think that when you're sitting in a room of people who can relate, it's, it's magical for someone who's never been exposed to that ever, right? Like to see Johnny next to you saying the problem that you thought you were all alone in for the longest time yeah, <laughs> makes oh, that sure. light bulb go off. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, that, that was what, what you just described right there. I mean, that's really what changed things for me. Um, you know, I remember when I went into treatment, uh, and I've mentioned this before on the show, like I was just going in like to detox. I wasn't even planning on staying, you know, I already ha I had my escape plan, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, ready, ready to go. And, uh, you know, when I got there, I was detoxing. Thankfully, it wasn't that bad this time around. And I went into a meeting with a bunch of guys. It was like this nightly wrap up thing where they were just talking about like how their day was going. And for the first time, I guess, like I was just at this point where I could actually hear what, what people were saying and, um, it started bawling like a baby. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, I, I need to stay like, this is where I need to be. I need to stay here because, you know, I heard probably 10 different guys within two minutes of speaking, tell my story and exactly where I, where I was and exactly what I was feeling. And I'd never, maybe I had been in rooms or meetings where people had been saying things, but I'd never heard any of it, you know, and, and it just didn't really, it didn't really strike me at all. So that, that's really cool. Um, why do you think it is? I mean, I, I know as I was reading, like you've said the sobriety isn't just about quitting harmful behaviors. It's about living our best lives. I agree with that. I, I would say if I'm passionate about anything, like when it comes to recovery, it's that because I did not get sober for some boring ass life uh, where everything is, it's an everyday struggle. I'm not going to say things aren't hard ever, especially in the beginning, but it's an everyday struggle. I'm just holding on for dear life. Like, you know, I didn't want anything to do with that. Um, so I agree with that. But why do you think that so many people stop at the just getting sober part? Like, they don't move forward and necessarily live uh, their best lives. And that's objective, right? Everyone has a different idea of what their best life looks like. But why do you think that is? I think there's two reasons to this. One is stigma. Um, and I was exposed to this, you know, living in this DC world where the first question people ask you, like, what's your job? Like, what, what do you do for work? It's not, are you happy in life? And... <laughs> Um, so I felt really held back by this stigma and I actually tried to go sober on my own in 2014 and I lasted three months of white knuckling and that was miserable. Um, so I think that also plays into why I, I view it as a lifestyle now. And the other thing is lack of education and lack of understanding. Like I, I too, I was driving the bus just like you. I thought I had it all figured out. Like but I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know, I didn't really have a grasp on how alcohol affected everything in my life because I was just, it's like walking in the middle of a tornado and you can't really see outside of it. There's just chaos everywhere. Um, so yeah, I think lack of education, stigma, and then I'd also add, you know, like I was selfish in my addiction and I really didn't care to, I don't know, help myself in a way 
that I probably could have, but I was really sick at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. That, that makes all those points, I think make great sense. Now that's just in terms of, you know, someone getting to really excel in life. What about just staying sober? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've uh, you know, the, the recovery rates, unfortunately, are not great. You know, I mean, let's just be honest about that. I, I'm hoping that that's changing as, as uh, people like you are helping others. And like you said, I mean, even three years ago, um, very different, right? Um, probably very different from a year ago, even. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, very soon things really do start, start to change and the conversation about uh, addiction starts to change. But what, what do you see as some of the biggest problems that people run into early in sobriety that, um, that lead to relapse or that, that kind of cause them to fail as they're going through their journey? Like, what are some of the roadblocks you see people hitting? I think uh, we need to have like change the dialogue around relapse, honestly, because you and I both know the relapse rate is quite high. Yeah, for sure. I've seen people shamed out of rooms because yeah. they're drunk, you know, and I, I, I am of the belief that if someone goes out and relapses, they needed to do some more field research as we call it. So I almost, I, I do, I embrace them when they come back and say, well, Hey, what did you learn? rather than, oh my God, you relapse, like what a terrible person you are, which I feel like society does. And it's also people that maybe lack understanding as to how difficult recovery is. Those are the first people to put their, their pointer fingers up like, hey, you shouldn't have done that, right? But right, right. Um, we, you and I both know the relapse rate is quite high. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that it can be a few things. Maybe they're not supported when they come home in their environment, or maybe there's their environment has bottles stashed away that they couldn't remember where they were. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be they're not connected enough socially. This I think is a big one. Understanding that we don't need to like get rid of our friends, but maybe we need to categorize them in a way that, uh, this person is not super safe to hang out with right off the bat because yeah. you can almost expect that they're drinking mm -hmm. or using. Maybe I should shift who I spend my time with for a bit before we go back to parties and be the only sober person there. So it, it's, it's kind of accepting that this is a lifestyle change. I think that's where some people do get a little bit tripped up. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I would say like the friend part that you just mentioned, um, and, and I was actually on a recent episode, we were talking about, you know, this term friends. I mean, a lot of these people that I was considering friends, we just, we had nothing, nothing in common except getting drunk and high together. I mean, it was just the, the bottom line, you know, uh, I probably didn't really care too much about these people. They didn't really care much about me. Uh, just nothing in common, but I think that what you just touched on right there, um, I'd agree with all of it, but I think it's, it's important to give, put a little space between some of these people early on, you know, and, and that was something that I had to do. I mean, I didn't talk to some of my best friends for about a year just because I knew I couldn't do it. Like it, it just wasn't a good fit and they, they're not sober, you know, and they're out doing other things. And, 
um, you know, having been around a little while now, I see that so often. And it's like, man, you're hanging out with people that are getting high every weekend or every day. Like, do you not think that's going to happen? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen when they're just smoking weed in front of you 24 <laughs> seven, you know, or, or whatever it is like it's um, it might not happen, but why risk it? I think that was kind of my, my thinking on, on that. Um, is, is that something that you did for a while? Did you kind of take a break from a, a lot of the people? I know you said you were kind of like me, like doing a lot of this stuff solo, but um did you take a break from some of these friends and some of these maybe drinking and uh, drinking acquaintances? I did. Yeah. And I did that by cheating the system a bit by moving. Uh, that, <laughs> so, well, that helps. That does, you help. know, I, but I did go back for a few weddings the first couple of years. And there were people that it was very obvious that they were confused mm-hmm. But because I wasn't drinking anymore. And I yeah. had previously been this like leader of the pack, like, Hey guys, let's get drunk on a Tuesday night, you know? And here I was sober at weddings, drinking diet Pepsi. Like <laughs> some of them didn't know what to make of me anymore. Honestly, it was like, yeah. they saw me completely different and that's okay. Because I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage there from the past. Like we partied a lot. Mm-hmm. So now I was this new human in front of them. And I didn't necessarily even know what to say to them either. Yeah. And now that is something I talk about in my coaching, how to have conversations around that. Hmm. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, I just remember some, there were definitely some awkward like times, you know, that year later that I saw some of these people. Yeah, because I didn't really know what to say. And this is where I, I could see um, some benefit in having a, a coach or someone kind of guide you through some of these specific things, you know, I mean, they were learning experiences, but, you know, I mean, I heard like some of the stuff come out of my mouth and I was just like, yeah, like these people are going to think I'm just fucking crazy basically, you know I mean? So, but it was better than, it was still better than the other, the other crazy, you know, I, I do want to rewind real quick, just to the, the relapse that you were talking about, um, you know, just how we view that. I do recall, you know, having a few months sober and, and being really plugged into a 12 step program and someone coming in that had clearly been drinking and, you know, most of the people in the meeting didn't, didn't really act like it was a, a huge deal. Like, I think they tried to share and they were just like, Hey, if you've been drinking, you know, please wait to talk to someone after the meeting, like that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think like me and a couple of my buddies that I was there, I was like, wow, like this guy's drunk in a meeting and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a few people were like, well, yeah, dude, like, thank God. Good thing he's here. Like, what, what do you think is supposed to happen? You know, like, are they supposed to get sober every time and then come in, you know, and that could have very easily been me. So that was someone that was plugged in, I guess, just since my thinking had changed so much. So I I get what you're saying. If I was sitting there judging to the degree that I was um, newly sober, uh, then, then I'm sure, you know, other people are, are doing the same thing to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because I don't think anyone wants to stand on a pedestal and say relapse is okay because Mm -hmm. there's this fear then that we're saying go out and relapse. But 
that's not the idea behind it. It's just, mm -hmm. if you do it, then come back. Like, don't leave forever, please. Because I, I've seen way too many people uh, pass away, get injured, whatever, if you will. And I mean, we don't have to talk a lot about this, but it's the reality of this, of addiction. Yeah. One thing I, I did want to ask about, because um, there are a lot of my clients, this is something that that we work on a little bit, although I'm definitely no expert in this field and I, I guide people in the right direction. Something we haven't talked a lot about on this show is is eating disorders. Um, and I'd like to have more people on to talk about that. I, I just, if you could just briefly, and you don't even have to go super deep into this, but what, what was some of the work that you did there, maybe specifically on that? Um, and, and how does that kind of fit into your recovery today? Actually, it's interesting because my eating disorder, it, it's still like every once in a while will flare up like, and it's not to the extent where I can't do anything about it, but it's like the first sign for me that maybe I need to take a step back. Like if I'm overworking, then my eating disorder will be like, oh, well, you don't need to eat today, right? <laughs> um, so I, I have a specific eating disorder counselor that I go and see. Okay. Um, some of the recovery tools that I teach, I, I, I never teach anything that I haven't already done myself. Hmm, like I like that. Yeah, because I can't sit here and tell people what to do if I haven't done it. Yeah, But the sense. tools for alcoholism that I use they still work for the eating disorder. Um, but I do, I feel like that's another demon that I battle. Uh, and we're never fully cured. Like I'm never going to be fully cured for my eating disorder because here's the deal with eating disorders. As you know, we still have to eat. Like it's so right. different in that way from like alcohol addiction, because yeah. we don't have to have alcohol around. Right. right. Hard to do abstinence with, uh, mm -hmm. with food. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, just as I described that moment where I remember drinking that first drink I ever had, mm. I remember the first moment that I, I told myself I wasn't hungry anymore mm. when I was 12. Right. So those moments that you can just remember, I think, like I said earlier, they're pivotal, right? Like that was a pivotal thing for me too. Oh yeah. yeah reaching in the fridge to make a quesadilla 12 years old. Nope. never mind, Not hungry. And off I went. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I like that, though, that you're, you were saying, you know, number one, you have someone that you're working with specifically, you know, for that. Um, and at the same time, I, I think what's really cool is that you just reminded me of is that these tools that we use for alcoholism or, or for drugs, I mean, we can apply this towards a lot of different things, you know, um, one thing that I was talking to uh, someone about earlier today is like, you know, early on, I, I was using all of these tools that I was learning specifically for like not drinking and getting high. And when I started to, you know, I'm, I'm sure someone kind of suggested this along the way, when I started to apply these to other areas of my life, like my career or finances or relationships or, you know, which I think a lot of these things just like kind of get better without the, the drugs and alcohol, you know, um, but uh, things started to get immensely better, you know, and um, and I think that's where the real 
real recovery really starts is when it, we're, we're using these tools in uh, as many areas of our life as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree 100%. So before we wrap up, I think you've given a lot of really awesome advice here and, and a lot of, like I said, a lot of value. I always try to try to get the value uh, out of the, the interview uh, interviews here for our listeners. What is maybe one piece of advice that you would like to share with the Sober Nation? No matter how hard it gets, how low you get, just please come back. Like we, there's no nothing that you can do to keep you away. Like, please come back uh, and just know that there's understanding on the other side. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I agree. I agree. So you can connect with Ariel on Instagram at my sober compass, and you can learn more about a recovery coaching at my Thanks for coming on the show, Ariel. Thanks so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.